about a month ago, I uh, was here on Friday afternoon, and um, my wife called, and she said, are you still at the church? I said, yeah. She goes, I'm going to run by some fresh flowers to put in the girls' bathroom. I said, what? You put flowers in the girls' restroom? I didn't know that. She goes, oh, yeah, I've been doing that for three years. I'm like, well, I'm, I don't, I'm kind of out of touch, you know? And, uh, but I thought, okay, that's a great idea. And then this morning I got so excited, I walked into the men's room and there were two leaves on the floor. I thought she decorated her fall. I was so excited. I thought, oh, the men are getting, and I realized, no, some guy just tracked him in. It was no big deal. Uh, So I don't know. I know the ladies get fresh flowers and we get squat. So there you go. Hey, uh, we are in the book of Romans and I am excited about continuing in the series. Uh, Last week we saw that Paul made an argument for justification by faith and that it's available to all people, if you remember that. Uh, by the way, if you didn't hear that or you weren't here, you can see um, or hear all of our sermons at uh, our website, fogkc.com. Uh, and since uh, what he talked about was since it's apart from any works of the law, nobody can boast about their own righteousness. Of course, this raises the question, if we, as those living after the resurrection of Jesus, are justified by our faith in him, how are the people of the Old Testament saved? before the resurrection, right? This is a question Paul knew would be on the minds of the Jewish followers of Jesus in Rome. And if you remember, when we first started talking about uh, this letter, uh, Paul was sending it to the churches in Rome. He's, he's really uh, assuming this is going to be in multiple churches. Uh, some churches were meeting in houses. Some were in uh, you know, some places of, of uh, community, but uh, there were no you know, massive, large churches yet. And so uh, he was really sending this to be a circular letter throughout all the churches in Rome. And uh, he knew that uh, a lot of the churches had at least half or more were actually Jews who had begun to follow Jesus. And so now he chooses to address this question because they're all going, wow, this is so different. This is so, you know, night and day. How does this all work? And and he starts by suggesting that Abraham was justified by faith too, just like we are. And so let's see this uh, uh, today in this sermon titled Abraham's Justification by Faith. We're going to see what Paul was talking about. We're looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Let's read through it, and then we'll come back and kind of take it in bits and pieces. Here's what it says. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the father that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
Now, I will tell you that that is the most times I've said the word circumcised in two minutes in my entire life, except for an hour ago, okay? Uh, I know it's very, uh, it's, it's used a lot there, uh, but we're going to kind of take this uh, in bits and pieces here and kind of see what, it understand, what we understand from it. And here's the first thing we understand, and that was Abraham was justified by faith. Let's go back to verses 1 through 3, and let's read them, and then see exactly what, what uh, Paul's meaning here. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And those are in quotes there because that is a quote from the book of Genesis. So we see here, if you remember, this term justified means that a person has been declared righteous. He doesn't behave perfectly righteous. He is indeed guilty of unrighteousness. He is not perfect, but he has a, a, a declaration on him of being innocent or uh, righteous, right, before God. And so um, Paul says here, if Abraham was justified by works then he has something to boast about, doesn't he? I mean, just think about it. If Abraham had the ability to go, man, I've pulled off this Judaism pretty good. I've accomplished it perfectly. It's all about me, guys. Just do what I do. I've done it. He has something really to boast about or brag about, right? Uh, But he's not able to do that. He has not lived in such a way to declare himself completely righteous. And then Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God... And it was counted to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous by God. Now for some of you who uh, have gone to church for a long time, this may seem a little contradictory to other things we hear. Look at that verse again. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It appears here that Abraham, his belief alone was what declared him righteous and it's completely separate from anything that he has done, right? But what about this verse in James, James 2.24, which says really seemingly the opposite. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul and James seem to be really contradicting each other, don't they? Paul's saying we are justified by by faith alone without any works. And James is saying we are justified by works. Don't tell me you can be justified by faith alone. So how does this work? And by the way, whenever things appear to contradict in the scripture, the contradiction is in our understanding not in God's word, because God's word does not contradict itself. Let me just kind of show you how this works out. I think it'll make pretty good sense. So this is kind of a timeline of a person's life. On the left there, they have a physical birth, and they are going along sometime, and sometime, uh, if they come to know Christ as their Savior, they have a spiritual birth. That's what Paul is talking about. In that moment, in the moment that a person passes from death to life, from darkness to light, when they give their life to Christ and put their faith and trust in him and what he did on the cross to save them, to pay for their sins, in that moment, Romans 4.3, Paul's saying, you are declared righteous. You are declared innocent. You are declared, in essence, perfect by God's mercy and God's grace. James is not talking about that moment. 
James is talking about some subsequent time after that. And what he's saying is, you tell me that this thing happened back here, the Romans 4.3 thing, you're telling me that happened and nothing's different in your life? I say it didn't happen. That's what James is saying. James is saying, listen, if this really happened back here in Romans 4.3, your life is going to be different. You're going to behave differently. You're going to think differently. You're going to be differently. You're going to treat others differently. And, and when I see all of that difference that's happened, that's confirmation that Romans 4.3 took place. So you see, they're not contradicting each other. They're talking about a different point in time. They're talking about a different circumstance. And so they don't contradict each other at all. So we see in this part of Romans that Abraham was completely declared righteous forever because he believed in the one true and only God. And I say forever because we get in this, this impression sometimes that our, our sins are on a whiteboard. You know, and they're all being, somebody's marking all our sins and then we give our lives to Jesus and he wipes our slate clean, right? And then tomorrow comes and we sin again. And so Jesus has to do some people. And so it's like Jesus is constantly there, you know, washing cars or wiping that thing off. And he's just constantly doing this because we keep sinning at some point. But folks, that's not what it's talking about here. In this moment, he was declared righteous. It's past tense. He was declared righteous forever in the moment that he put his faith in God. Most of the Jews at this time believed that Abraham was justified because he fully lived out and performed the Jewish laws and customs. They believed that Abraham found salvation in his perfect behavior. But Paul here is restating that Abraham was justified because of his belief and trust in what God told him. That's what he was justified by. He was declared righteous. That moment of spiritual birth, he was declared righteous because of his faith in God. Then Paul talks about the nature of declaring righteousness. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul's trying to help us understand here, so he gives us this word picture. If righteousness was the result of working hard and earning it like we do with our job, then it would be something we've earned, something we, in essence, deserve, right? But instead, righteousness is granted to the one who realizes he cannot work hard enough to earn this declaration. What Paul's saying is this. Let's say your company had a really great year this year, and Christmas is coming along, and it kind of leaks out of HR. HR not that uh, I'm about to say, no, about to confuse tax stuff with HR. Uh, uh, HR, the department leaks out a little bit that we've had a really good year and we're going to get a big Christmas bonus. And everybody's really excited. So they have this big Christmas party and uh, the CEO comes up to the microphone and everybody's like, oh, here it is. We're going to get our big Christmas bonus. It's going to be awesome. I can hardly wait. And the CEO goes, guys, I'm really just happy to just say that uh, we've had a really wonderful year. Really proud of all of you. We've done a fantastic job and we've decided to give you all these wonderful Christmas bonuses. Here are your checks. And he hands you your payroll check that's exactly the same as every other time. We would all think the same thing. What a cheapskate, right? This isn't a gift. This is something I earned. I, I worked hard for this. I, I do this all the time. I, I, I deserve this. In essence, that's true. 
I've worked for it. I've earned it. it. It's already mine in a sense. What Paul's saying is, listen, guys, if we could work for this, somehow God would owe it to us. Somehow it would be some kind of a payment. It'd be a a wage, a spiritual wage that we have somehow earned because of our wonderful uh, uh, behavior. But he's saying that's not how it works. And by the way, he's not advocating spiritual laziness here. He's simply saying that grace comes through faith, not by working for it. And in reality, we're putting our faith in the law and ourselves, or we're putting our faith in God to save us. See, everybody is exercising faith. Uh, they just don't know sometimes what their faith is in. And so if we believe that uh, we can somehow earn our salvation, we are putting our faith and trust in what we can do and, and how we can work our way into God's graces. But Paul's saying that that's not possible, guys. It's not possible. It's something that comes only because of God's mercy and grace. And then he continues to say, even David says a man is blessed if his sins are not counted against him. Look in verses 6 through 8. It says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is a quote out of Psalms. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here Paul's using the writings of King David to support his argument. David communicates what a great blessing it is to experience God's forgiveness. And Paul is connecting this idea of being forgiven and being justified as one simultaneous event. One event that gives us both forgiveness and justifies us and makes us righteous all at one time. Now, at first glance, this idea of justifying the ungodly seems to explicitly contradict verses in the Old Testament, right? Uh, Think about it. Exodus 23, 7 says this, Keep your distance from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I do not justify the wicked. Proverbs 17, 15 says, Justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous. Both of them are an abomination to the Lord. There is a process where basically everybody really needs to get what they deserve. It seems like justice almost doesn't exist when the wicked are forgiven and declared right. But if you remember last week, Paul made the case very clearly that justice has been satisfied through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. Nobody's scooting by, nobody's getting by, nobody's getting a pass, nobody's getting a free ride. Somebody paid for our unrighteousness. We can either do it ourselves or we can let Jesus do it. He's already done it. We might as well get the advantage of it, right? By putting our faith in him and how he paid for our sins on the cross, we can be declared righteous and our sins forgiven. Then he begins to talk really more strictly just to the Jews, and he says justification is apart from any outward sign like circumcision. Romans uh, 4, verses 9 through 11, the first half of 11, it says this. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, 
But before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, many of the Jews would agree that justification is possible, but only for the Jews, God's chosen people. After all, God is their father in the faith, right? And David was their king. And if you remember from our studies last year in the book of Acts, there was a great controversy in the church for years whether a person needed to become a Jew to be a follower of Jesus. Being circumcised was an important sign of the time that you were included in the nation of Israel and their blessings and standing before God. It was very important. But here Paul says, listen, since Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, his circumcision had no bearing at all on his justification. Here's the point he's making. Listen, if, if, if uh, uh, Abraham's justification and his circumcision happened at the same time, you might be able to make a theological uh, uh, argument for the fact that circumcision was a key part of justification. But these two events actually happened, we don't know for sure, but, but probably around 27 to 28 years apart. So Abraham was justified before God because he believed God first. Later, later, God had him be circumcised as this, this outward sign of this inward thing that had already taken place. So Abraham's circumcision had absolutely nothing to do with his justification. It had nothing to do with him being declared righteous before God. In fact, the most Jewish thing a man could do had nothing to do with his salvation, in a sense. But Paul's about to tell us what does. And we see here that in this passage, Abraham is father to all with faith. Now, this would have been probably declared blasphemy by most of the Jews at the time because Abraham was their guy. He was their spiritual father. They held him tight to the Jewish nation. But look what it says in the last half of verse 11 and verse 12. The purpose of circumcision was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here in this last part of verse 11, Paul is really stating that Abraham's circumcision was a confirmation or a seal of the change that had already taken place in his heart. He was justified by his belief alone. And the outward sign of circumcision was the confirmation of it, not a particular part of it. In some ways, it's kind of like baptism for us. Baptism is not a part of the justification process, but an important outward sign of what has already taken place. Think about this. Uh, we, we teach very clearly here that the Bible teaches us that a person is justified again by faith. We are declared righteous by God by putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, and that alone. Now, would we encourage every single believer to be baptized by immersion? Absolutely. It's a very important step in your spiritual discipleship. 
It's not something that's, uh, in a sense, you know, optional. It's very, very important. And in fact, if somebody said to me, uh, you know what, I'm not going to be baptized, baptized, I would say, now, wait a minute, help me understand this. You, you say that you put your faith and trust in Jesus to follow him the rest of your life. You want to be a follower of Jesus, but you refuse to do the very first thing he tells you to do. Is, that, is there not a disconnect for you there? Of course there is. There's a huge disconnect. And so Paul is saying, look, guys, uh, this thing was not a part of Abraham being justified. It was something that took place after. After. Then the last thing Paul brings up in this section is that if Abraham was justified by faith to God, then Abraham is like a spiritual father to all circumcised or uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile, because of our faith in the one true God and in his son Jesus Christ. Abraham was justified by believing and trusting in the one true God with a very limited understanding and revelation of God. Think about it. Abraham did not have the Old Testament. He had probably bits and pieces of it, but he certainly didn't have it. He didn't have the, the uh, New Testament in its, you know, at all, any of it. And so uh, we see here that uh, uh, Abraham... Uh, believed God with a very small revelation of who God was. He trusted him. He believed him. And when God spoke to him, he believed what God said. We are justified by believing and trusting in the one true God also, but with a much more complete understanding and a much more complete revelation of who God is because we have his son, Jesus Christ. They're not two separate gods. They're the same God. Jesus is just a full and complete revelation of who God is. So you see, salvation is not really that much different in the Old Testament or the New Testament. We just have a much greater revelation of who Jesus is, of who God is. In the Old Testament, believed in God they put their faith and their trust in the one true God the the God of the nation of Israel and they were declared righteous they were declared uh, perfect and, and were justified by that faith in the New Testament because we have a more complete revelation of God, we can't just believe the partial revelation we have to believe uh, the greater revelation that we have. God's son, Jesus Christ, dying and paying uh, for our sins on the cross. And so in the New Testament, we're justified by faith also. We're justified by faith in the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. And we receive God's mercy and grace because we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save us. So that does lead to one last question, and it's this one then can a person in New Testament times be saved or justified just believing in God? If they just believe in God, like they did in the Old Testament, can't they just be saved the same way? So think through that question logically. So I have this little revelation of who God is, and I believe that. I put my faith and trust in that. Now I have a much greater understanding, a much greater revelation of God, the same God, not a different God, the same exact God, and I reject this part. That means you don't believe this part. That means you don't really have faith in the one true God. 
Because the one true God is the Father of Jesus Christ. And so people are really, if you think about it, saved in a very like manner in the Old Testament and New Testament. All of us, all of us, whether Old Testament or New Testament people, are saved by faith in the one true God. It's just that we need to believe and trust the full revelation at the time. They had to believe the revelation of who God was in the Old Testament with a very limited knowledge. And we must believe and put our faith and trust in the one true God and his much greater revelation through his Son. And so there really isn't a vast night and day difference. Nobody in the Old Testament was saved because of their works. No one has ever been justified. No one has ever, nobody has ever been justified by what they did. You'll see examples of what they did being confirmation of who they trusted, like we saw in James. But just doing those things did not bring about justification. It never has and it never will. And so it's important for us, folks, as we uh, uh, think about ourselves and we think about our friends, as we uh, pray and ask our friends to come next week uh, to Good News Sunday, it's important that we understand that the gospel is not being a better person. The gospel is not working really hard to make God happy. The gospel is not somehow trying to be good enough to earn or deserve something from God. The only thing we ever have earned or deserve from God is hell and we'll never earn or deserve anything more. The gospel is the opposite, which is we can't work hard enough. We can't be good enough. We can't work hard enough, good enough, fast enough, perfect enough to ever earn or deserve anything from God. It's his mercy and grace that reach out to us and then by faith we accept who he is and what he's done. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So next week, when you bring your friends who may not know Christ yet, they're going to hear about a God who loves them and is willing and ready to forgive all of their sins if they would just put their faith and trust in him. I'm praying for your friends. You pray for mine. And we'll see what God does. But folks, I want you to see from this passage, we might look at this and go, wow, this seems kind of like the same thing. This was, this was kind of revolutionary to those folks who had previously been Jews who were now followers of Jesus. These are some new ideas but they're ideas that we should keep in the forefront of our minds too and not get off base of what the gospel really is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, for its incredible truth to us. God, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace. We acknowledge to you that we can never do enough to take away our sins. But Father, we do remember how good you've been to us. And we are thankful, we are thankful for your mercy and grace that are available through faith. Thank you for justifying us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be, to be declared righteous by your son. And Father, we just pray you'll never let us get over that. Never let us minimize it in our lives. Never let us stop talking about it to our friends. 
that there is a God in heaven who loves us and gave his son for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.